people of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, Recording now. Oh, okay. okay so let me turn technique. sound off on my phone. All right. Professional courtesy. That's Absolutely. I'm a journalist. Like, <laughs> shit annoys me like crazy. And so happens, when you journalists know? get together, when geek journalists especially get together to talk about just interviewing, I knew this day would come. We'd all just interview each other, and that's all that's left. You know, uh, my uh, <laughs> my father's uh, best friend, who is a. Uh, a uh, watercolor artist named Walter Fox says that the media loves to masturbate over themselves, mm. you know, and, and, and that, like, we we, we uh, struggle to find our own significance amongst our insignificance. Um, well, he was, he was, very, he was an I've, artist who that's was bitter that he was never discovered, frankly. But um, I'm told outsiders that that's our yeah. best thing is we like to we like to puff up our our importance. And that voice you hear is uh, we are here with, with the uh, head geek. This is the this is Fanboy Planet, but we're colliding tonight with Ain't It Cool News. We are here with Harry Knowles at Cinequest in San Jose. Who is here receiving an award uh, for excellence in journalism? Absolutely did absurd. You, uh, did, you, uh, yeah. did you foresee a day that that would be uh, put upon you? No, I thought the spelling issues and lack of punctuation would probably keep anybody uh, respectable from ever giving me any sort of award. Yeah. But I'm not saying that uh, Those are this festival is, internet. in fact, uh, respectable. Like, I do not know. I mean, like, I've only got two days to decide that well, so far. It, yeah. it's, it's definitely a mixture of the high and low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in addition to this, one of the reasons for the media award is uh, to allow uh, you and uh, Kenneth Turan and from IndieWire, uh, Eric Cole, is that uh, presented? Uh, yeah, yeah. Three three journalists to present uh, films that they wanted to champion this mm -hmm. year, and yours is Grand Piano. Absolutely. Which, when uh, they announced this as a selection, I thought, well, I've been watching the trailer. Actually, I think I saw the trailer on Aid and Cool News and went, I have to see this movie. Yeah. And so, one, we'll start off with, why did you select this film as your choice to host tonight? Well, you know, I mean, when, when they asked me to, you know, do you want to come accept an award, free trip to San Jose? Like, first of all, I have never been to San Jose, so sure, I always love going to new places. Uh, two, wow, people want to honor me? That's just absurd. You know, I'm so used to being beat up in my talkbacks that I, I just assume everybody hates me. That's why we um, don't allow talkbacks on our... <laughs> and, and then they said, uh, could you program a film? I went, ah, this is why they invited me. They wanted Harry's programming Harry, you know, like... And I sat there and I thought about it for a long time, and, you know, I, I could have arranged, like, an early screen of something like Noah with Aronofsky or, you know, done something like that. But, you know, to be frank, that's uh, that's not what I wanted to put. Like, I mean, y'all are honoring me. And I feel that Harry Knowles at his best is somebody who champions the films that others forget. And, you know, for me, 
uh, a movie like Grand Piano, which got its uh, world premiere at uh, Austin's own uh, Fantastic Fest, mm -hmm. which I'm a co-creator uh, of, um, we, uh, upon, you know, sort of thinking about it, I was like, you know, this is a film that played there. It's the film that I saw at last year's festival that I most wanted to watch again. Mm -hmm. um, I also hate it when people present films and then leave to, like, go party with people. Yeah. Because it always feels disingenuous. Like, do you want to present this film and, you know, like, watch it with the audience and have a uh, experience with these movie fans in San Jose? You know, like, like I, I genuinely love getting to share my personal brand of passion for cinema mm -hmm. uh, with people all over the place. And, and, and so for me, uh, that's... That's kind of why I did. The other thing is, is that I'm really good friends with Elijah Wood. Uh, he and I uh, became friends uh, on the set of The Faculty. And uh, I uh, initially hated Elijah Wood because, you know, he was in Flipper. And Flipper was bleeding awful. Uh, it was just a terrible, terrible film. And I couldn't believe Robert Rodriguez would cast the kid from Flipper and The Good Son in his faculty movie, which I thought was going to be a good movie otherwise. And then I met him, and I realized, you know, I said, why'd you make Flipper? And, and Elijah said to me, you know, it was going to shoot in a summer, and I was going to get to spend a summer in the ocean with the dolphin. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the biggest dummy in the world. It, it, this is a kid. Right. Of course he made Flipper. Of course he spent an ocean summer with a dolphin. That's that's actually an amazing experience. And yeah, it was a bad movie, but I understand his well, reasons. And, 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 and yeah. I, just I being able to say something like that to an audience and say, even in the bad experiences, you can see the good reasons why actors make their choices. Well, and you just actually yeah. hinted at it by saying, by saying you met him on the set of the yeah. faculty and... Probably at that point, that was early, fairly early on in the official Ain't It Cool News time. Your, your Absolutely. fame it had very early. arisen, but your actual experience on film sets was probably not as... So you, what I'm getting at is you've experienced that everybody enters into making a movie with the express purpose of making a good movie, and somehow they don't always know it's not going to be that good. Well, I don't know if everyone goes into every movie thinking they're going to make a good movie. Or I think good, there's an, I think there's a... I, no, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that choose to make movies for the paycheck, mm -hmm. and okay. those are the dispassionate actors we hate, or that we dislike, or they're the actors that choose the job because they like to always be working. They're actors who love the process of working, but very mm -hmm. much like uh, Patrick Stewart's character in Hunting Elephants that Which played we saw last, last night. night. Love that, right? Ab that's absolutely. Right, you know, I mean, he was somebody who was always wanting to work. He's not alive if he's not performing. And there's those actors who are great in every movie, even if that movie sucks. You know, and like people like Gary Oldman have been in a lot of bad movies, but have not been bad in movies. Um, we'll focus a moment more on Grand Piano, which is we're talking about why you're presenting it mm -hmm. here. But for the audiences that are not at this film festival, we love that you're here sharing it with us in San Jose. Now out to those people that are going to find it on video on demand. I think it's got a theatrical release starting this weekend or yeah. last weekend. Yeah, starting this weekend. Um, so, you know, to those people that are going to pick it up there and hope in their regions, what is it about Grand Piano that is so exciting? Well, in, in a day where so many films are overcomplicated, 
that uh, where film uh, is filled with look at me shots, right? Where mm-hmm. it, it it's shots that defy reality, going through panes of glass, going through walls of buildings, going through people's heads. You know, like what, whatever, wherever you want to take the camera, the camera can go now. Like you know, mm-hmm. and, and this is just a simple, elegant suspense film. Okay, this is a film that. When I went to see it, I had no expectations. There were no trailers. There was no movie poster yet, right? Isn't it the best? Yes, it's, it's the best. And I went in saying, okay, here's my buddy Elijah Wood. Let's see what you got, you know? And, and Elijah loves me because I'm honest with him brutally. If he's in a bad movie, I let him know. You know, I feel that if you really want to be a friend, if your friend sucks, you slap them and say, stop sucking. You know, I mean, it's an important thing. I mean, honesty brings us closer together, not through lies. Lies separate us, you know. And and, and so for me, one, this is a film that's being released by a small distribution company. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not going to have a giant marketing campaign. And if Cinequest has decided, okay, let's honor Harry and you want to present a film... This is the exact kind of film that I would like to support. You know, not not. I mean, I'm dying to see 300: Rise of an Empire. I'm I'm, di- I'm actually dying to see the Sherman and Peabody movie, right? You know, me too, actually. But yeah. those are movies that are opening in like I, I think I saw that 300 is the tenth largest opening for an R-rated film ever. You know, and, and Sherman and Peabody is ever present, omnipresent. It's everywhere. Right, right. This movie's gonna probably be on very few screens I, I don't actually know the screen count on it but if I could push a few people if I could recruit however big this auditorium is to see this movie to then whisper throughout the Bay Area the, the praise of this film mm-hmm. then besides Austin where we're already anticipating film San Jose the 10th largest and Austin's the 11th largest city in the country Maybe 10 and 11 can have a good boost for this movie, and maybe the director gets noticed, mm-hmm. right? Because he's doing good work, and he deserves to be rewarded. And he's a filmmaker who I met at Sitges the first time I've ever gone to a genre festival, and it's the reason why Tim League and I founded Fantastic Fest. Mm-hmm. And he was one of those kids that showed up there with a little short film and a, oh gosh, I never expected to meet Harry, but with a really killer Spanish accent, you know, so that was not, Goofy is not the voice for him, <laughs> but it, it works for him. Goofy can't troll his R's. No. No. Um, Gee, well, but you know, I think about this, like 10 years ago, and I, and I realize, you know, home videos change things, and the yeah, fact yeah. that we have... Well, we're on moving on to seventy-two inch television screens now. I have a nine uh, foot by twelve foot projection system that does three D beautifully in my living room. You okay, know, like, so like, it, it, it's just so the need to get out of the cinema. Is, what struck me about this film is you've got Elijah Wood, you've got John Cusack in a thriller, which is a genre that tends to do fairly well. Yeah, and yet this is one of the this is how the business has changed. This is a movie that's not as you say not getting a wider release. It's on video on demand. Mm-hmm. You watch the change. You know, why well, isn't a movie like this getting the kind of push? Well, the, the thing is, is because to market a major film, in, uh, you know, against the entire United States, you're talking about a marketing campaign that needs to be about 
30 million to 50 million to get the market penetration for a significant success. And the studios look at this film and they see, oh, it's a cheap film. It really isn't. It doesn't look cheap. It looks professional as can be. I mean, it's, it's, it's a Hitchcock type film, you know, and I don't think anyone ever thought Hitchcock films were particularly cheap, you know. Um, you know, but the, the, the thing is, is when you look at a, a, a film like this, you realize, if not my voice, who's? Mm-hmm. Who's going to champion these films? I mean, the, the, we're at a point where these things are being released and they see them on video on demand and they think, oh, it wasn't good enough for a theatrical release. Or they see it uh, on Netflix and they go, wow, I never even saw that in the theaters because it's only going to open in art houses. Right. And so many communities don't have those. And I wonder right. if people are getting more sophisticated to that because I oh, do hear absolutely. a lot of people talk about it. I mean, CNN runs that. What's what's uh, Netflix adding in March? Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. saw that headline of like, okay, check out this one. Oh, good. There's that movie absolutely. I want to see. So that shifted. And now perhaps with the, you know, getting an award, you know, the role of the of the critic or the reviewer or whatever, how, how do you want to call yourself? I, I call myself a film advocate. Uh, I, I believe, like that. I'm going I to believe, take that. I'm going to put that on my card. I believe film critics uh, go to movies to find what's wrong with them. Mm. Yeah. I go to movies to find what's right with them. I like that. I like that a lot. So, did you think with the rise of the internet and when you started, and I've, I've heard you talk about yeah. the early days many times, um, is do you think that who you are was inevitable in the modern age? <sighs> Gosh, um, I don't know. I mean, I've always felt that it was other people's uh, place to judge where you fit in the context of things well, and, saying, if you had been Harry Knowles would you have been created by someone would someone have created someone like Harry Knowles I'm a bit of an egotist when it comes to this because um, the person who I've isn't I've never heard that <laughs> the, the person the person who made me me was my father mm-hmm. and I've never met anyone who had a father like mine like like just the place and time and the way he raised me I mean you have to understand, when I was seven years old, I was running around Austin catching buses on my own, you know, to go to museums, to go to see movies that were being presented at the University of Texas that were, like, from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. That was on my own, not with my parents. Mm-hmm. What seven-year-old gets that type of freedom today? No, they want, I, no, they right? want, yeah, the right. ones on milk cartons. They, you know, they, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and there the won't thing be is, to follow you with that. Is, absolutely, not. you know, and with my father having a memorabilia business, with him having, I mean, both my parents were uh, film school graduates who had friends who loved every type of genre and type of film, and they held film parties every day of my childhood, where we would watch six and seven films in 16 millimeter that everybody had in that collection before video even existed. I lived in a house with over 150,000 movie posters for movies that I hadn't seen yet, okay? We had press books. I had so much material. And then when my parents divorced, I wound up on a ranch in the middle of nowhere where I was 40 miles from the nearest child my age. It was a fortress of solitude, and I had all this wealth of, of knowledge to like dig through. And my dad said, "It's precious. Learn from it." You know, my mom took the collections from him, and I was abandoned on a ranch where I could either milk a cow or read 150,000 comic books from the Golden Age to the Silver Age. Hmm. 
what would you do? Well, <laughs> I think we know. I, well, that's why we're like, here. I mean, that's what created me. I've never That's a, a unique cow. position. Very few mm-hmm. people, you know, had a personal library like that to just, in, in, in the solitude, to enjoy it and to explore it. It's amazing I read you the, didn't become the flaming carrot. When I saw the flaming carrot, <laughs> I said, I got to be that someday. Right? You know, like, <laughs> Bob Burton is the bomb. You know, yeah. like, he is awesome. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, of 150,000 movie posters, what is there left that you need to see from those days that you oh, have Oh, so not? much. So much. You, no human could see all the films worth seeing. Like, it's impossible. I see, on average, five to seven films every day. That's how I do the DVD column and, and the Blu-ray mm-hmm. column. I, 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 so, there's some days where I get 25 titles in the mail. You know, and, and it's just, like, when you're faced with it, you're just like... No man could ever digest this much cinema because tomorrow I'm getting 18, and the day after that I might get seven. But is know? there anything that when you see it, you go, "I'm dropping everything. I'm going to see that." What what, oh, yeah. what 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 is actually your guilty guilty pleasure that you'll drop everything? There's else no for? guilt. Though. There's no guilt. No guilt. Yeah, no, no, there's I'm no just guilt. There's just pure joy. Label it. You know, it, it, it's uh, you know, I love seeing things before others. Right, you know, like it. To so it's me, a perk of the job. To, to yeah. me, it's giddy. You know, I mean, the other day, I got the Blu-ray for Samson and Delilah. You know, and it happened to be one of the very few religious epics that I had never seen. Okay, so right, it, it, and I love Victor Mature, and Hedy Lamar is beyond gorgeous mm-hmm. in that film, and. I realized, oh my God, it's been remastered in 4K and it's on Blu-ray and this is how I'm going to see it on my 12 foot by 9 foot screen. You know, I couldn't wait for my wife to go to bed, for me to like you turn to off yourself. all the lights. <laughs> and, 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 and how just, does she feel about that? Well, the thing is, is she sometimes goes out and, and, and goes dancing and partying because her thing is she's not all about cinema. She is not a, 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 a the missing half of the what she is is she's her own person and what I love about her is she doesn't have to cling right you know like when we get together we get to talk about what did you do today and what did I do today and and the conversations are about those two things coming together and when she's talking about discovering music because that's her primary passion I end up discovering things about a youth level of music that people my age and generation are not usually discovering. Yeah. Because they're just listening to their 80s. If left to my own devices, I would listen to 80s rock all the time. And 70s, and 60s, and 50s. And more than likely, I could listen to Cab Calloway for seven years nonstop. You know, it's yeah. like we become very comforted by the things that give us comfort. And when you marry someone who challenges your interests and pushes you to discover and appreciate new things through different cultural eyes, that's what's beautiful about my wife, beyond just the fact that she's a beautiful woman. You know, it's about, I wouldn't be as interesting Yes. If it wasn't for her, mm-hmm. you and we know? say for the listeners, she's sitting at a safe, healthy distance from this table right now as we talk. So this well, she's heard all of this before. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> oh wait, she just shook her fist. There was a threat, <laughs> and uh, Harry gets his allowance this week. Okay, so um, <laughs> which would be hilarious. Uh, 
Uh, now, with all the things you, you know, you have film festivals. Mm -hmm. You've uh, you know, you've achieved probably a lot of the things that the seven-year-old with that upbringing. But I still haven't have seen been... London After Midnight. You know, like oh, I, I still God. need to see London After Midnight. Like, oh, I know. We, and Corey uh, Ackerman do. told me that it's actually a bad movie. Oh, like, you, his memory was that it wasn't very good. I had a conversation, but I'll tell you, I had a conversation with Robert Culp about that before he passed, and he he actually had great memories of it. But I, I, honestly, I think if I ever sat down and it were to play, I would just be crying with a smile up to here the entire yeah. time. Like yeah. I mean, Conrad Bite and you know the uh, the man who laughs. Nothing yeah. on the smile I would have as I was watching London After Midnight. Like I mean, that that would just be. It's the dream, and Peter Jackson and I have been trying to get into the Warner archive. They just moved it. Well, because there had and been we, a rumor, right, that they have... We had found the print. You know, it was uh, under the title of The Hypnotist, and by the time uh, that gentleman had gotten the information to me, Warner's had packed up their entire library and was moving it to another place, and so th there's, like, this room that, like, dwarfs... Spielberg's, you know, <laughs> shot and right. you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we were so close. And but Peter is continuing to push Warner Brothers to to open those crates, reorganize that library. And the thing is, is Warner Brothers is currently in the process of scanning and destroying everything, right? Because they, the, you know, we're not going to have thirty-five millimeter projectors. The bulbs for those projectors are not going to be being reproduced, right? You know, we're at the death of cinema as we have always known it, but we're also at a point where, you know, we are going to have an accessibility of digital cinema. Right, it'll be saved, it just won't better, be cinema as we Even know. Right. though digital is not as safe as a yeah, film print. 20, you know? yeah, 200 years from now when they're going, oh, it was only 4K, so so much is lost. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, no, but exactly. I mean, you know, if we were to pay 200 years from now, we wouldn't have the silver nitrate, you know. We, Certainly. And so, there. Well, a good IB Tech print can last 150 years. Digital can only last 10, okay, uh, before the uh, information can start to be coded. So they have to transfer the media constantly in order to safeguard stuff. So, I mean, in that respect, I mean, one um, electric uh, uh, impulse, you know, popping yeah, impulse, through, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and we could lose cinema. Right, you know, like that that's the danger of digital. Well, we lost most of our Greek tragedies without a pulse. Uh, so what's left professionally is I mean again, we we talked we were saying the seven year old, he still wants to see London after midnight, but now you've got a film festival, you've dabbled in film production, you've you've been in films, you've had a, a, a severed head made out in and there's appeared in multiple many, movies. Multiple heads. Multiple, films, multiple, multiple uh, heads. I I have played yes. my own sever, severed head. Right. And we I have had a cast yesterday. of a severed so, head. So um, now you could, I mean, because you're doing all those things, is there still a goal you have? It's not I, I, seeing I, something, it's creating something. I've or... been developing a series of about five films with Cary Conran for a very, very long time. Um, you know, he did uh, Sky Captain in the World tomorrow. Um, he was, um, you know, I, I worked with five different directors to make a John Carter of Mars for Paramount for a long period of time. You know, I don't want to say that Carrie was the best amongst them. He made the ver he was making the version of the movie I had always dreamt of. Mm -hmm. Okay, he and I very much creatively are aligned, and he has said he'll never make a movie without me because we're just. So you'd like to see? You'd like? To make I would a, like. One of those to, I, I want to make one of those projects, and you know, it, it's. 
when when you look at um, you know, there's a movie called like Transcendence that's coming out later this year, and Wally Pfister, and it's Johnny sort of Depp. produced by yeah Johnny Depp, and uh, uh, I think Christopher Nolan is somehow involved at the producing level. Could be. Um, you look at how they're looking at the future of technology, and it's all threat and scares and, and, and wily. We have a radically different vision of what the future with technology is going to be, and it doesn't have to be apocalyptic. It can be orgasmic, and that's the sort of vision we want to give people. We want to dare people to aspire to the success of society that we see for ourselves given the levels of technology as they exist right now. And we want to show people that there's a point in time where you could literally get on a tauntaun and go across the Antarctic in it. And like we're close to that. You know, there's things in tech that are going to be around that will make it to where if you want to fly Pegasus, you can fly Pegasus. Yeah. You know, like like we're so close to the dreams of society. Like I mean, from the ancient Greeks all the way to now, yeah. you know, and, and we're right there, where the concept of creation is in our hands for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid of it. I'm emboldened and excited by it. I mean, yeah. in the same way that. Corey always looked to the future with the eyes of a child wanting to see a new dawn for the first time. That is how I choose to live my life while everyone else is worried about, you know, uh, crime rates and all this other stuff. Science will light the way for us. And it's if I can give that in cinema form mm-hmm. where people can see it, yeah. that's worth putting your life into and it does seem uh, in line with the, some of the stated goals of CineQuest. Yeah. Now, but you bring up Forey, so I just, I'll, I'll wrap with this. Do you see yourself as a sort of a spiritual heir to what Forrest Ackerman was doing? For those who you, you, you don't know, know what we're saying by Forey. Yeah, Forrest Ackerman. Ackerman, founder of Famous Monsters Filmland. Yeah. You know, I, I, I learned to read reading Famous Monsters of Filmland. I had 50,000 copies of Famous Monsters of Filmland lining one wall of my bedroom as a child. My father found a load of them. He's the reason why Famous Monsters of Filmland from number 28 to number 76 mm-hmm. are lower priced than the, uh, the books on either side of those numbers. It's because of the load my father found in San Antonio in like 1974. Like nobody really knows that. So that's never been written about, but that's the friggin' truth. It's yeah. a, Dad came out here with a, a load of 70,000. He, he hired a giant U-Haul truck and you know like came out to San Diego and was like... I've got all the famous monsters in the world, you know, like, and the world <laughs> says, old statement. we will buy them all now, you know, like, and, 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 you know, and one of the people that was buying from him at the time was like a young George Lucas. I mean, because yeah. that was in 1972, Yeah, um, you know, so for, for, for me, when I look at Forey, I'm different from him. Forey believed in genre cinema, uh, uh, futurism, fantasy. I, I love all those things. I love everything Forey ever loved. And if you talked to Forey and you went to his house and you got up to the third floor, you'd see that he loved Marlena Dietrich and he loved, mm-hmm. you know, the classic mm-hmm. sirens from the ancient age, you know. And right. 
and talking to him about those women and having met them is just a very different Forey Ackerman that comes out from the guy who talks about Lugosi and Karloff and Cheney. Right. You know, I mean, from the man who knew James Whale. You know, it's like the the the. I was one of the first uh, places that invited me as a guest was a Minneapolis convention called Convergence, a really great fandom uh, in the mm-hmm. Minneapolis St. Paul area. This my personal favorite convention on the planet. Like it is a party convention where people like us go to celebrate being us. Okay, it is literally fanboy planet. Which right, convention you know, is it? It's, it's called Convergence, and Convergence. it's in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Well, clearly, they don't have. If they've been told they're fanboy planet now by Harry, we've got to go. <laughs> yeah, no, no, y'all, y'all should. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, is all the panels are the fanboys and the fangirls, right? You yeah, know, it's right. It, it's not about high powered guests. It's about us. Sure. Yeah. Having these conversations, like we're having right now. That just go on and on and on, and you party and you get drunk with one another, and there's like 75 different. Like we're doing drink- right now. No, but, <laughs> but what they do is they have 75 drinking rooms in this hotel where everybody customizes each of those rooms to a different theme. theme. Yeah. You tell Bacon they're slacking. 75, yeah. 75, or, yeah. or more. You know, it's like it literally. You you go from room to room, and you can go through the Whedon verse and into the yeah. Lucas verse in and into the Roddenberry verse. I, 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 and, I, 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 you know, it's it, it's truly, <laughs> truly a great place. And when, when the first time I was there, they also had Forey Ackerman as a guest. And I've known Forey forever. But I was going to my panel, and that was Harry Knowles, you know, media future messiah age. Yeah. Like when everybody was writing all of that, like, you know, this is the person that the internet was built for. You know, yeah. they, they were writing those sorts of articles about me. Yeah, yeah. And I go... And I passed Forey's room, and I look in, and he had a big old ballroom that he was talking in. Um, but it had about a third full. It was about a third full. And I go into my room, and there's people standing up against the walls because there's not enough seats. And I went in, and for the first 30 minutes of the Harry Knowles panel, I was saying, you should be ashamed that you're in this room. Next door is a man who knew Lugosi. He's the man who knew Fritz Lang. He's the man who knows these are stories and he's here for a precious bit of time on earth. And you can come by my cabana all night long. I will be up for 48 to 52 hours. Come seek me out. But right now, get off your ass and go in that room and you give that man your attention because that's what this is supposed to be. Yeah. And I got about half of my audience to leave, right? You know, and Forey came by the cabana later and he was just like, it was in tears, you know, because he went in and, you know, he was, you know, Forey's the sort of man, if two people showed up, he was ecstatic. He just wanted somebody to give his energy and have it returned to, you know. But when that room filled up, and he heard there was a guy next door talking about it, and he realized, oh my God, this is the kid who was two years old sitting on my lap at the world premiere of Golden Voyage of Sinbad as I sat by my friend Bradbury. I literally sat on Bradbury and Ackerman's lap at the world premiere of Golden Voyage of Sinbad at the San Diego Comic Con that year. Okay? That's how I saw Golden Voyage of Sinbad. I went head geek. You know, like that, that, that was yeah. as good as it gets, you know? Um, at two, you peaked. Two yeah, no, no, really. I peaked at <laughs> two. You know, like, yeah. you know uh, uh, Jack Kirby gave me the nickname Fuzzy because I wasn't mature enough to have a full head of hair, and he thought I hadn't yet earned the name Harry. 
Oh. I have proven him yes. wrong. You know, like... <laughs> bringing back such great memories. I I went to the Acker Mansion with Bill Nolan. Oh, wow. He's a yeah. friend of the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to, to listen to those guys for a half an hour just talk about, because they were, uh, Ackerman was Nolan's agent yeah. back in the day. And oh, that just, I cried when he died. I was just like, uh, the first time I went to uh, the Acker Mansion, uh, it was with my, mom, uh, my dad and my sister. And Dad says, go up, uh, go see if you can get in and let us know. And I go up and I ring the doorbell and, and, and Forey goes, you rang? Uh, and I'm like, yes, I'm Harry Knowles. I met you at Dallas Fancy Fair and you said if I was ever out here on a Saturday that I could come by your house and, 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 and I really, really want to come by your house. And uh, this is before Angleful News. I was just Harry Knowles fanboy, right? You know, and Forey says, Come in, you know, and, and I walk in the door. I totally forget that my dad and my sister even exist on this planet. And I'm like wandering around the Ackermanch. I can't find Forey. I find myself in the room with all the Kong props. Oh, yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like debating whether or not to move the Stegosaurus. The Stegosaurus is my favorite thing ever. The Stegosaurus in King Kong, specifically, it's my first love like it, it was the thing that I saw and I was just like oh my god I want to see a carnivorous stegosaurus right you know that is just genius so I'm sitting there and I'm like debating touching the model right you know to move it a little bit to, to, to feel what it must have been like to be Willis O'Brien right you know like like this is the moment and I'm like I can't do it and I suddenly hear this voice behind me go go on <laughs> I want you to play with all of my children. And it was Forey. And I was just like, oh my God, this is, God. You know, and I start holding, I, I posed with a, a Kong bomb, the smoke bomb that knocked Kong out and uh, took wow. photos. And, and, and I realized, oh my God, I have to tell my dad that we're here, you know. And it turns out dad had, by that time, given up on me and had come to the door with my sister himself. <laughs> and, 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 like, I found them somewhere else in the Acker Mansion. And there were, like, four other people somewhere else in this building. And I couldn't believe that this man was just letting us wander to just be amongst his stuff. And I know that, I know that people stole stuff over a period yeah. of time. I couldn't conceive of that. No. You know, this was a man who was separating the glass from the object, who was allowing fans to, to actually feel the magic. And, you know, there's that moment in Star Trek Generations where, you know, Picard is there and he sees the original model of, of the ship that broke warp drive the first yeah. time. And he says, it was always behind glass at the Academy. And he says, somehow touching it makes it real. And... It was at that moment in the Ackermanches, I'm holding the friggin' Kong bomb that knocked out the eighth <laughs> wonder of the world, you know, that I'm just like, holy shit, this is what it is to be a fanboy, right? You know, this is the joy, and this is something that, this is the love. you know, no amount of sex, drugs, and rock and roll can ever represent the joy of a geekgasm. You know, a geekgasm, the moment where the thing that you have loved and held in your mind your whole life... And there it is. And there it is, and you're allowed to hold it. And now that I own Ackerman's Kong Bomb, you know, that, that that's, mm -hmm. like, like it's the thing. And every time that I hold it in my hands, I can see for you live. Mm -hmm. And that's what 
being a geek is and the memory of these objects and the power of them. And I love sharing, I mean, getting to put the Kong bomb into Phil Tippett's hand when he came on my set of my show, Ain't It Cool with Harry Knowles that I've been doing on YouTube. It was just like, he was like, I remember holding this at Flory's. And, and then we just instantly started telling each other Flory stories. And, and it's, you know, I have all the files from the Acker Mansion, As like the, the famous monsters, you know, files. And I, you know, when you ask me, like, what is left to do, I've never begun. You know, like, like what I have done with my life so far is nothing. I don't feel like I deserve any awards because the potential I have is so much greater. I've just never had the financing. I've, I've never had the resources to really do. I mean, my God, to archive. All, I've got a hundred. I've got like fifty thousand press books. Right. Should we create Harry House? Right. Yeah. Well, well I mean, not in not German, that would be Harry House. But, I just but the thing say is, that. is right now <laughs> I live in a house that's eleven hundred feet. Okay, that's not going to work. That's there, not going to work. You have that. Okay. I got to have the man. I, I have to have the larger well, house. I mean, that's and I've worked my whole life to I get there. I think a lot of people probably perceive you as being a very well-off man. Last and, last month, is no. Expensive. I mean, la- last month. Uh, well, I mean, for, first of all, I pay my father's mortgage, my sister's mortgage, and mine. I, I, I take care of three households. By the end of the month, I'm counting pennies and maybe eating yeah. ramen. You know, like, that, that's the reality of this. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the same time, I have fabulous objects and amazing yeah. things, yeah. but that's what I put all my spare funds into. Like, like, like for me, it's... It, 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 the objects and things that I buy are windows to memories of when films were introduced, friendships, conversations, lives, uh, the knowledge of all those people. I mean, when I do my show, the YouTube show, I set dress first, and then I know what the show is because I know to touch on all these subjects, and I can see how they're all interrelated in my mind. And it makes sense only to me. And my director is yeah. so frustrated all the time. And he's like, yeah. well, what's the show going to be? I said, well, turn on the camera and I'll show you. All right. right? You know, like, and I create things that have to become computer animated. And we yeah. do stop motion. And we do all sorts of stuff. But I'm freely creating on my own, often no script. Right? You know, like, it, it drives a director crazy not to have a script. But he actually understands now, because he's worked with me for a couple of years, that I'm always going to deliver a show that by the time you're through, you're like, I can't believe he connected all of that. Right, you know, and, and that's the brain of a good film geek. You yeah, know, yeah, like, you yeah. know. Well, we thank you for helping us deliver a good show this week. Um, I would ask to be, I mean, given that signal behind you, your handler is yeah, taking your hand. care of you. Not yeah, Patricia, yeah. no, Michael. Uh, Rabel. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, but thank you for this time and sitting down with us and giving us the extra time because we referenced some less. So, well, and I highly recommend that y'all go to Convergence sometime. I think oh, y'all will be great. Really we're looking it. forward yeah, to yeah. seeing Grand Piano tonight. Cool. So the parties are the best part. We'll wrap that up, and if we could get that tag, the yes. bumper is a little tough because it's use your powers only for good. This is Harry Knowles of the Ain't It Cool uh, Maverick Award winner at Cinequest. Use your powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreat.com.
L-U-K-E-S-K-I dot com. Don't tell me, don't tell me. Oh, no, 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 no. Damn it, damn it, damn it. I'm fine. I'll just get alcohol. It's always best when the guests are drinking. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I thought. We make sure that... I'll, uh, I'll, bring, him, I'll bring him three more then. Great. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Bring Rick some. That's always fun too. That's, no, no, no. No, and then everybody sounds like chipmunks. It's I'm all great. dialed in. It's fun. It's great. <laughs> it runs itself once Rick starts. <laughs>